let's jump into Ruth and uh, we will see what the Lord would say to us this morning. So we are up to chapter 3 and about verse 15. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be reading from 14 this morning. So, so far, the, the, the book of Ruth has been exciting. Uh, it has been very sad starting out with. We, we started out seeing the, the ill, frowning providence of God over the life of Naomi. She uh, was moved to a godless nation with her husband. He died. Her two sons died after they had married godless women. And then she moved back home, lost her one of her daughter-in-laws who stayed behind. But Ruth faithfully promised herself to Naomi and came back. So, so really, Naomi is the main character of this book. It, the, the, the beginning and the end of the book really surround her and her situation. But it, the book does that by following the romance of Ruth. And we've seen how that has sort of taken some turns and some, some awkward ones and some exciting ones as she has met the, uh, the slightly old guy, probably in his 50s. Ruth's probably in her 20s. Uh, but he's, he's wealthy, he's successful, he's friendly, he's a leader in town. Everybody likes him. He's the guy that all the, the aunties and the mums, they all talk about at the family reunions, wondering when he's going to get married. Well, we see that coming very shortly. So this is Boaz. If you remember back in chapter 2, verse 1, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse, uh, yeah, verse 1, it says that Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man whose name was Boaz. That, that word meaning worthy can come across as a man of valor, a man of war, a man of uh, uh, wealth, or a man of leadership and respect. So this is the sort of man Boaz is. So it's our joy to uh, look today, actually. We're going to be looking at a few characteristics that come out of Boaz in this story as we read from chapter 3, verse 14, all the way to chapter 4, verse 8. And we're going to uh, just read it chunk by chunk as I explain it and apply it. We won't do the whole thing in one go, uh, uh, in one read. But we're going to see this morning how Boaz is a man of valor and how that comes through in his activities. What, what, what has been a continual uh, discipline as we've been going through Ruth is remembering what Paul said to the Corinthians when he said that everything that happened in the Old Testament happened as an example and they were written down in Scripture for our instruction. So while we go to the Old Testament, and it's more than just nice tales, it's more than just moral examples, it's more than that. It all points to Jesus, and we'll see how today. But it also gives to us an example. It gives to us good and godly examples of how we ought to live and terrible examples of what we ought to avoid. There's plenty of both in the Old Testament. And we've been seeing uh, examples here for both men and women, uh, both single and married, parents and children, We've been seeing how to date, how to pursue, how to, in a very godly and controlled way, flirt just a little bit with those who we're interested in, how, how to propose. We learned from Ruth a couple of weeks ago how not to propose, i.e. climbing into a dude's sleeping bag while he's out with the boys in the mountains. Bad idea. Uh, we've learned uh, um, uh, how to honor God's design for family and, and marriage in the family unit. But as we look at all of those applications, and all of those examples and all of those, uh, those, those things that we should be pursuing, it, it's useless to preach that if we as a church are not producing, establishing, and discipling men of valor. We can tell all our young ladies what sort of guys to pursue, men of valor, but if we are not producing those men, they will go elsewhere and find other men to marry. We can tell the young fellas what, what sort of men to look up to for examples, but if we don't have those men in our midst, 
they ultimately look into a vacuum. They look to the culture to be disciples. We can tell uh, people to, we can uh, preach all day long about how to have a good marriage, but if we don't have men of valor to establish and strengthen those marriages, the preaching is in vain. So this morning, I want to look at Boaz, and I want to see here examples of how us men ought to be both single and married, fathers or uh, not yet having children, how we ought to be men of valor like Christ would have us have. And, and I want to point out here that whether you're, you're, you're a man or not, uh, only two options there, man or woman, whether you are a, a wife or a husband or, or a child, wherever you are in here, it is important to, for all of us as a community to define and look at what a man of valor looks like so that we can encourage our young men, if that's not you, so that we can disciple our young men into that, so that, so that the young gals know what, what, what you should be looking to in order to marry, in order to uh, uh, have friends with, or what is godly company. It's going to help all of us looking at this, not just the, the growing blokes, but the whole community for us to have a good, good example here in Boaz of what a man of valor looks like. So can you read with me in chapter 3, verse 14? <clears throat> Let's look at the valor of Boaz. Verse 14, so Ruth, she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before anyone could recognize her. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. So here's what's happened. You remember, Boaz has finished his harvest. He's sitting in his, you know, in his storeroom up on top of the mountain, campfires going, and Ruth, as her mother-in-law has badly advised her, go and dress like a bride and tell Boaz that you want him to marry you, but do it while he's sleeping. Go and uncover his, his feet, sit down at his feet, uh, wake him up, and then tell him in the middle of the night while you're alone up there on the mountain that you would like him to be your husband. Very, very questionable advice. But anyway, Boaz is in this situation. And what we see here is that Boaz protects Ruth. He protects Ruth. And we'll look at a couple of things in the background here. So while, while he had said last night, remember, he had said, I will redeem you. You've come to me, Ruth. You've asked that I would redeem your family from their poverty and redeem Naomi from their childlessness and bring back to life the name of Elimelech. I will do that. But, but every good love story has something in the middle, has something to overcome so that that guy has to come in on his uh, white horse and do something uh, 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 impressive. Well, this time, Boaz... He wants to marry Ruth, wants to redeem her, but you remember what happened. She had a closer relative in the family of Elimelech that legally had the right to her family's property, to her as a wife, and to her, her children as his own. So Boaz recognizes there's somebody else who has claim on you legally to do all this. So I want to marry you for love, but he can take you by law, so let's get this thing sorted out. We'll do that in the morning. If he will not do it, he promises, I will marry you, Ruth. That is a promise. So what's happened is, it's, it's the middle of the night. He tells her that, and he's got two options. He could say, all right, it's dodgy that you're here. Get out, go back to town, middle of the night. Uh, go walk back to Naomi and sleep there so that no one thinks anything. But Boaz uh, knows that in that day, it was very dangerous to go walking along those highways and byways at that time of night, especially for a beautiful young woman unprotected. So what Boaz tells her is, and we see here, that men of valor protect their women. Men of valor protect their women. Okay, so, 
So uh, um, uh, she's snuck in. He wants her to leave, obviously, that that matters. But he needs to protect her. So number one, he's protected her from himself. I think this is something that young men, all men, need to be uh, active and disciplined in. Boaz protects Ruth from himself. Where there was an opportunity to be, uh, to be tempted, to be seduced, uh, he was in the position of power. She was both his employee, his social, uh, 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 socially lower than him. He could have taken advantage of this situation in whatever way he wanted. She had said to him, uh, uh, she had come with the assumption, Naomi told me, do whatever he asks. Boaz protects her from his sinful self by maintaining her, her purity and the integrity of that moment. So he said, don't come into my sleeping bag. Lay down there where you are until the morning. Don't wake me up again. Let's not go for round two at this temptation. So number one, protects her from himself. But other, uh, uh, secondly, he protects her from others. He, he physically protects her by allowing her to stay the night. If he had said, this is dodgy, I don't like that you're here, this is kind of a boys' trip, we all agree, we wouldn't invite any ladies, you need to go, get out of here, go on your way, he would be opening her up to terrible danger, the robbers, the rapists, the murderers on the road that were so common. So he secondly protects her from others. That is a, a good and, and godly thing to do. But I want to see thirdly, he protects her from a bad reputation. And this is the, uh, uh, the, the, the necessary activity of all uh, men as well. Look at what he says, or what the, what the verse here says. She laid his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Boaz cares that if he was to wait any later in the day, if he was not careful, other people could look on and see that this young pretty lady is sort of getting walked out of his dorm and and, uh, sent on the road, and rumors would circulate about Ruth. Now, Ruth has already had, as we learned last week, a godly and good reputation. Everyone in the town knows that Ruth is a Proverbs 31 gal, an excellent wife material, right? Boaz himself also has a good and godly reputation, but he cares for her reputation enough to not just send her off. He doesn't just say, like so many young couples, so many Christians want to say today, it doesn't matter what other people look at. It doesn't matter what other people think or or how we are portrayed. We know in our hearts that nothing silly was going on. We know for ourselves that there was no sin. Therefore, how we are portrayed does not matter. There's a kernel of truth in that, that yes, your integrity before the Lord is is the most important thing. But since Christ redeemed not only you, not only a part of you, but the whole you, your reputation also belongs to Jesus. It means that as we live our life as Christians under the banner of Christ, everything we do is an example to the world of what God tolerates. And therefore, we might be able to say, oh, we know there's no sin going on here, but, but we're still going to let ourselves be, be put in dodgy situations. We live together, but you know, I promise you there's nothing wrong going on, and it doesn't matter what other people think, we know we're sinless. No, your representation to the world also matters. It, it is important to have good and godly reputations. Proverbs tells us in chapter 22, verse 1, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. A good name that is a good reputation is to be chosen 
more than great riches. So, so here's Ruth, has a godly reputation. Here's Boaz, could just kick her out anytime he wants in order to save his own reputation, but instead makes sure that he protects her. He, he makes sure that other people don't know what's going on, go before the light is fully up, but while it's still safe on the road and sends her off. So that, that is important. I think uh, that this is a way that he looks after her and commentators uh, look on this and say, Boaz was risking himself here. Had he just kicked her out in the middle of the night, that would have been safer for his reputation because if rumors circulate that those two spent the night together in an inappropriate way, he would have lost his right to redeem Ruth and her family. He would have had to pay a massive price and Ruth likely would have been killed or cast out of society. There was a lot riding on this situation. That's, that's what's going on in the background here. But you will say, and I will agree, Nonetheless, while he needs to protect her reputation, he still lets her stay the night. And, and now that is a, pre, a precarious situation, woman at the bottom of his bed all night. But men, let's hear this. <clears throat> we must always act in love, which always means that there can be some risk. He risked their reputation in order to physically protect her. I've heard young men say, or there can be a mindset to say that, that in order to protect reputation, I sort of left her up to danger. You know, we, our car broke on the side of the road. Uh, you don't want to be seen in a car on the side of the road together at night. So I just left her. She'll get the, she'll get the tire. I ran home. Uh, don't, you know, we, we, we'll protect all our reputations and she'll be fine. No, stay with her. She needs protection. There are some situations in which you risk the reputation of what naysayers and, and, and uh, what gossip may say in order to protect. So, so there's, the, there's what we see from Boaz. Protect them from yourself, young men. Protect them from others, even if it means there is a slight questionable reputation going on. But still, at all costs, whenever you can protect the, 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 the reputation of that woman, do not defile what she has worked hard to have a pure and beautiful reputation. I hope that comes across strongly and uh, clearly there. So that's verse 14. Turn with me to verse 15. <clears throat> We've seen that the that men of valor protect women, important, as Boaz did for Ruth. We see also that men of valor provide for women. Read with me in verse 15. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. Remember, she had worn that, that big, beautiful outer cloak garment uh, to look like a bride. And he said, lay it out, hold it. So she held it. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Unclear exactly how that much was, but if she needed a big cloak to carry it, he's being generous. He's given her some six measures of something of barley and put it on her, right? So she's carrying it on her back. And then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, that is Naomi said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. We've seen already Boaz's generosity in prior weeks. When he sees Ruth, he pours out generosity on her, giving her food, giving her employment, giving her the, 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 the staff ID card to just come right into the storeroom. Whenever you want, get what you need. We see again Boaz showing provision and generosity to, uh, to Ruth. This is a biblical call 
for husbands. I, I want to say that the, the call on men and on husbands is, is twofold. It is to provide and to protect. And both of those are in the matter of physical and spiritual realms. So that men must protect their, their, their family and especially their, their, their wives, physically protect, spiritually protect them. They must also provide, spiritually provide leadership and nourishment to the family and spiritually protect the family from false teaching, false teachers, and sin. So Boaz is going to show us that he's protected and he's also providing. This is an example for us. <clears throat> you know, culturally, usually it was men that were the uh, men that are the, the breadwinners bring home the, the income for the, the family. But where that does not always happen, and often there's a double income home, it is yet still the responsibility of men to be the providers as God is for us, that we must be the providers ensuring our family is well equipped. Now, what we see is, he said to Ruth, you must not go back empty-handed. This is a throwback to chapter 1. Can you turn with me to Ruth chapter 1? We will see similar phraseology from Naomi about her situation at the beginning of the book. So you will look at chapter 1, verse 20. Naomi had said as she came back into Bethlehem, seeing all her old friends and family for the first time since she'd left over 10 years ago. She says, do not call me Naomi. That means sweet. Don't call me sweet Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara meant bitterness. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt with me very bitterly. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. So why call me Naomi when the Lord testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? In this situation, Boaz sees those empty hands of Naomi and he fills them. He says to Ruth, you must not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. The, the commentators say that there's sort of a, a promise going on here from Boaz. He said, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go find the dude who's related to you. I'm going to make sure that I can marry you if he doesn't want to or ensure that he looks after you. Either way, Naomi, your empty-handed days are over. You came back empty-handed. I've been providing for you, but now as I send back Ruth to you, this is a promise in this gift that you will, your empty-handed days are over. I will either marry you and give you wealth uh, marry Ruth, rather, and give you wealth, or this other guy will. This is a promise. The empty-handedness of Naomi, the bitterness that she had, was in two parts. One was her poverty. One was her childlessness. That she had no children left except for her in-law, Ruth, and that she had no grandchildren. It is a good and godly thing for a woman to want grandbabies and great-great-grandbabies, right? And, and Naomi wanted that. And those were the two things plaguing her. And so Boaz is saying, here's your hands to be filled. And my promise is also that soon enough, whichever way this goes, you will have your grandchildren. You will have the name of your dead husband raised back to life. So here is Boaz providing. It bears to say that there are men, <clears throat> cowardly men, sinful men, men who have more character of Satan than of God, who sometimes sit in the pews of churches, sometimes are outside. But regardless, they see empty hands in women. They see, they see empty hands, and instead of filling them, they abuse them. 
They misuse them and they use them for their own pleasures or, 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 or furtherance of their own plans. Some men will see uh, ladies with, with father issues, with, uh, with poverty, with, with insecurities, with, with weak wills, with maybe uh, uh, not a well-built faith, with, uh, with not a good community of Christians around her, with, with family problems. And, and some men see that, give a yahoo and think, here's somebody who is able to be taken advantage of. They feed those insecurities. They make them dependent on themselves. They keep them emotionally at arm's length while physically involved. They prey on those needs and those lacks and weaknesses of those women. And instead of filling empty hands, they empty them all the more and abuse. What we see in Boaz, and, and I say that because that, uh, that is not just an example of non-Christians outside of the church, the problems out there. It's a, it's a problem that men have. King David himself had a season in his life where he did that, saw a woman in weakness and abused his power and situation. Christian men need to hear it as more than non-Christian men. It is the church blokes who need to hear that we must be like Boaz, seeing empty hands and filling. We see women with, with family issues and we encourage that, we pray for that, we, we help them. We, we don't pull them away from family. We see weaknesses or, or insecurities, and we bless them. We, we encourage them. We point them to Scripture, pray with them, get them some good and godly gal friends so that they're not isolated, not on their own, but in good community. We plug them into a good church. We, we don't want, like so many want to do, want to be Jesus in their situation, want to be the Messiah. and go, She's got all these problems. I'll be the one to fix it and so often just get swept into sin but rather know that what they ultimately need is a clearer view of Jesus, a better local body around them, and a better reliance on God through his word. This is what men of valor do. They see empty hands and fill them at their own cost, not abuse them to their own pleasure. We see that in Boaz, and may we see it here among this church. <clears throat> so Boaz, this man of valor, he protected Ruth, he provided for Ruth and her family, no, not just wives that men are supposed to provide for, but all in need, and we see this by extension. He's also helping Naomi. And then thirdly, I want to see, I want to show you that men of valor pursue women. And we're going to see a sneaky, tricky little chapter here in the workings of Boaz as to how he gets for himself his goal in marrying the wonderful Ruth. Can you look with me to chapter four? We've just finished chapter three. And here is how chapter 4 begins. Now, so Boaz has left the scene. He, he sent Ruth home into the city to see her mom, and he marches for the city gates. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. Chuck a pause. The city gate was uh, often a bit, of a, a bit of a courthouse in the cities back then, in the towns. And what would happen is that, that that is where the council would sort of convene, where and, and the council was made up of elders of the city, uh, heads of leading families. These men would gather, they would settle land disputes, legal problems, they would establish marriage contracts there. And so Boaz goes up to the city gate in order to get this legal paperwork, marriage, land redemption thing going on, okay? <clears throat> what we see, though, is next... Uh, if you look at uh, verse 2, it says that he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Oh, well, he says, 
Boaz actually has authority. That's not something that just anybody could do. As we saw back in chapter 2, verse 1, when it says that he's a man of valor or he's a worthy man, what that is at least getting to is that he's a leader in the city. Only elders could go to the city gate and convene a meeting, and there he does, calls up 10 other men, come here, sit down, we've got some work to do, and they listen to him. Proverbs 31, verse 23, as it's talking about the, the woman of excellence, the woman of valor, this excellent wife, it also says that her husband is feared in the city gates. Right? Actually, I, I think I've, I've messed up that language. Let me, let me read it for sure. Don't want to get it wrong. Uh, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 23 says of the, the woman of valor's husband that he, her husband is known in the city gates when he sits among the elders of the land. You see more and more throughout the book of Ruth that Ruth and Boaz are a Proverbs 31 couple. They're a good example. They are godly people. So here's Boaz. He's got power. He goes to the city gate. But back in, uh, in verse 1, it says that he sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Another example in the book of Ruth of really good luck. He goes and sits down, and lo and behold, this dude happens to just walk past the guy he needed. So he grabs him and says, sit down here, let's do some work. <clears throat> uh, that's God's providence, blessing this, uh, this pursuit of Boaz. Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Then he called the other ten men, and he said, <clears throat> he said in verse 3, now what do you think he's going to say? He's this romantic dude. He's in love with Ruth. He wants to marry her. That is all that is on his mind. Surely he's going to start out this by, by pouring out his heart, by saying, I'm in love with this wonderful woman named Ruth, and, and I beg you that I would be able to take her hand in marriage. Right? Is this going to be a poem here like, like Adam when he first saw Eve? Is he going to break out in song like a musical, dance with the elders around and, and, and declare his love in the most romantic sense? Look what he says. And just wonder, women, what you would feel if you heard him say that, men and women work differently. It's good that Ruth's not here. She'd be very offended if she heard this. <clears throat> he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell, tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will not redeem it, I will redeem it. Not even a mention of Ruth. He's just going to the finances. He's just going to the land. It's, it's like you think that your, your, your boyfriend is going to go and ask your dad if, if he can propose to you because he loves you so much and you, you listen in through the wall and you, your, your boyfriend just walks up to your dad and goes, look, let's be real, love your car. You've got a great inheritance coming to whoever marries this um, daughter of yours. What's her name? Let's, uh, can we make this? Can I be that guy? <clears throat> You'd be quite offended. Why has he not even mentioned me? His love for me. But we're going to see Boaz knows what he's doing. There's a, there's a reason that he is a wealthy, affluent leader of the people, and that's because he is shrewd. Not a liar, not deceptive, but shrewd. <clears throat> Here's what he, he says. So he, so he says that to the man, and, and the other bloke says, verse 4, uh, sorry, uh, at the end of verse 4, he says, if you will not redeem it, I will redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. So basically he's saying in the presence of the elders, mate, the, the right is yours. Take the land if you want it, because if you won't, 
I'll, I'll get this sorted today. I'll do the redemption and bless this family, whoever they are. And the bloke says, tragedy of tragedies in the story of Ruth, this other guy says at the end of verse 4, I will redeem it. Game over Ruth. Does the whole story really end right there? That, that he's just said in the presence of everybody, okay, I'll do it. It's mine. Done deal. <laughs> Boaz's whole plan has just fallen to pieces. Or maybe he sort of just, he knows how ladies can get when they're in a romantic sense. He just said, yeah, I'll, I'll try and redeem you. Goes over to the other guys. Please take this psycho stalker off my hands. I don't want to marry this gal. No, that's not at all what has happened. Let's keep reading. <clears throat> you'll, you'll actually get a bit of a laugh and a, and a real appreciation for shrewdness in men as they, <clears throat> as they go about their business. He says in verse 5, Then Boaz said, oh, oh, what, One thing, just one little fine print, one thing. Uh, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. That, that, that's not painted in a very good light. He just, the Ruth, that foreign gal, remember her? Yeah, she's yours too. Let's keep reading. You also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead. Sound romantic yet? That's her first mention from the lips of Boaz here. It says, and, and you acquire her in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. What he's just said is not so much you get to marry the most beautiful, godly woman in the town. No, he said, you get this gal Ruth, the foreigner, because her dead husband is somebody you as a family member in this kinsman redeemer deal, you owe him children. They will take his name when they're born. They'll be your physical child, but they will be son of Elimelech so that they can take the land back off you that you just bought once they've grown up. You have to take this woman as a wife, Ruth, and keep having babies with her until she has a son so that that son can take the land off you when he turns 18. Sound like a good deal? Empty your riches, spend all your savings, buy this land. It'll ultimately be a massive loss for you and you get another wife who's a foreigner anyway. <clears throat> another little bit of fine print that isn't even in here is that Ruth comes with a very bitter mother-in-law. Out in the granny flat, on the corner of your property, you're going to have to feed, look after Naomi in her bitter old age as well. Does the land sound quite as appealing as it did at first? Well, let's have a look. <clears throat> Verse 6, then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself. Ah, now we see Boaz's plan coming together. He says, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. This man was pretty keen when it was just a, it was a no-risk investment. I buy a piece of land. Naomi's too old to have kids, so she'll never be a, be a child. She'll never have a child that will take it back off of me. And because she's in my family... I don't have to, in the year of Jubilee in, in, in Israel, what would happen is every 50 years, if you've bought land off a poor person from another clan, at the end of the 50 years, you have to give it back to that clan so that each clan would keep their land over the years. But, but he's within uh, Naomi's clan, so he would never even have to give it back after that. He would just gain a massive plot, gain a farm, gain, gain investment and income. It was all win until Boaz mentioned this foreigner Ruth and that I have to give her a baby, and then that baby takes my land off me anyway. He doesn't have 
the affordability to do so. It's also getting the fact that he already had a wife and an inheritance for his children, and, and doing all of this would just weaken what he can give to his own children. Now, you might think that's all very reasonable, bad investment. It's going to be out of cost. I, I don't blame him for not doing so. Let me tell you, the author of the book of Ruth blames him for not doing so. Names are very significant in this book. That's why at certain times, Ruth will be called my daughter, or she'll be called Ruth the Moabite. Right? Names are significant. Boaz means, means strong. Right? Uh, but, but what we see here is that this bloke, the Redeemer, has he been given a name yet? No, he's just called the Redeemer. In fact, in the Hebrew, his name, what they refer to him is literally just Mr. So-and-so. He's not even significant enough to get a name. You don't want to remember him in this story. He's an, a forgettable character, forgettable man. Forget him altogether. He's only interested in himself, and he wouldn't lose income in order to look after his family. And again, we say that that seems reasonable. Who would buy a block of land you're going to lose? But this was God's commandment of Israelites in the Old Testament system. That if there is a, a widow and a, and a poor younger widow in your family, of course you look after them and assumed in all of that is that it will be at cost. But that's what you do to redeem those you love, is you fork out the cost, right? Where was this guy weeks ago, months ago, when Naomi crawled back into town with nothing, with one poor daughter-in-law? He's not even mentioned until now. He's only just learning about Naomi and Ruth now. They were his responsibility. He's left them altogether alone. He has not helped them. He's only interested in them when there's possibly an income from it, and then he gives it up when it's not so. He's shown in this picture, this is painted in a light to give dishonor to him. Men must not be like this. But we see Boaz's pursuit of Ruth through shrewdness very cleverly. In fact, I want to say that Boaz knows this dude's character. He knows what kind of guy he is. That's why he throws the bait brings him in and takes Ruth for himself because he doesn't want Ruth to be married to this financially motivated, uncaring man. And so he wins. Look at verse 7. Now, this, is, this gets weird. I'm glad verse 7 is here because if we just skip from I cannot redeem it down to verse 8. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he took off his sandal. Of course, that's, that's what you do. When someone's proposing to a family member of yours, you kick your shoes off for some reason. Now, verse 7 gives us some explanation. Uh, now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. In other words, feet where, where your feet fall, where you walk, suggests where you have right of and where you have authority of. And so in some sense, it's not a biblical law, and that's why the, the author of Ruth has to try and explain it to the later generation that he's writing to. He has to explain uh, this was just something they did, take off the shoe, give it to the other, and that confirmed in the presence of the elders a transaction had occurred. Weird biblical history. It happened. And then listen to verse 9. Boaz said to the elders... And all the people, so they've, they've contracted this transaction in front of the elders, and now is the official pronouncement. You are the witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belongs to Elimelech and all that belongs to Kilion 
and Malon. Also the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. Full stop. We'll take up from there next week. It gets very exciting uh, looking at what all, all, all that that happens. A bit of a funny scene there at the scene of the gate that we'll see next week. But victory, if you've been hanging out all, all this time through the book of Ruth, here is the confirmation. Boaz has sealed for himself very shrewdly and cleverly the hand of this Ruth that he loves. He has as a man of valor protected her even before she was her, his wife. He protected her, provided for her, and pursued her at great cost. Don't think that just because Boaz was in love, he also didn't lose an enormous chunk of cash in this transaction. His first son, born to Ruth, is going to be named after Elimelech and take back the land that he just purchased when he gets older. The the difference here is not financial between him and Mr. So-and-so. The difference is love. The difference is faithful, covenantal, steadfast love, which we've looked at over and again in Ruth, called in the Hebrew, hesed. And these, all of these attributes I want to show just quickly before we end. The protection, the provision, and the steadfast love that pursues us is seen most clearly in our covenant-keeping God. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this, that long before Boaz was a man of valor who redeemed, God has been a redeemer. We need to know this. And, and in fact, any man of valor, anyone, any man seeking to be a godly man needs to know you are never in right standing with God because of your own ability to obey the commands of God. We know this. Men, women, old and young alike, all of us are falling short of those standards of godliness and obedience that are required to be made right with God. We are sinners through and through. Nothing describes our state more accurately than Paul's indictment in Romans 5 that we are ungodly. We are not men of valor. We are not women like we ought to be. None of us meet those standards. And yet the true men of God, true men of valor are those who know that and throw their full weight upon Christ for the redemption of their souls the forgiveness of their sins, and the, 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 the redemption of their whole life to be now used in God's service. Now, these men look to God as their, their heroic uh, God of valor. Let me show you this, that God, like Boaz, is a protector. He protects his bride physically, right? But first of all, he protects his bride from accusations. Romans 8.33, listen, listen to the glory of what Paul says here. Romans 8, verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. God has saved you and protects you from any accusation from the devil. Satan is called the accuser, and yet none of his accusations stick now. For there is no condemnation in you, for God, in in the highest realm of authority, the highest bar of justice, has justified you. There is none to condemn if you are in Christ. God protects you and I, in his collective bride, from every accusation that rightly falls against us because of our sin. That is glorious. We'll go on. That he also protects us from attack. From attack, Romans 8 uh, says just prior to that, Romans 8 verse 31, 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God, for his children and for their salvation, gave what was most precious, the life of his very own son. Those blood-bought children are now, are now double valuable. They were valued because of God's love for them, and we are double valued because of the blood Christ shed for us. God will not now let anything befall you outside of his will. You are held in his hand in protection, much safer than ever Ruth was in the hands of big old Boaz. Friends, we are protected by the covenant-keeping God. But we can see further that God is also a provider, like Boaz, but more so. God has, in his great riches of his grace, provided, friend, hear this, he has provided all that you need for salvation. And none of it rests in or on you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says that in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God has supplied everything needed for your salvation in Christ. If you are a Christian, it has all been done. He provided. If you are not yet saved, there is nothing you need to do. Only rest. Stop your striving. Stop your obedience to impress God. Stop it all and rest on the finished work of Christ in the propitiation, the wrath-bearing sacrifice on the cross. God provided greater than Boaz ever could have imagined for his bride. He also supplies everything we need to do his will. Matthew 6 verse 33 tells us that we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, food, drink, and clothing, Jesus is saying, all these other things will be added to you. That you will never go. Maybe you're struggling, stressed financially or with other resources. You need to know this. That if you are seeking first the glorification of Jesus and his mission, in your work, in your family, and in every other endeavor, you will not go without all that you need in order to fulfill the will of God. Not your will for your life, but God's will for your life. You will not be overlooked in your needs. And lastly, friends, God, like Boaz for Ruth, God pursued us. God pursued us in ways that, that, that are unimaginable to the human mind. That the great God who had been offended became the God who pursued the offenders. In, the, in Scripture, we read this. For this is what the, the Lord God says. Behold, I myself will search for my flock and seek them out as a shepherd looks for his scattered sheep when he is among the flock. So I will also look for my flock, Ezekiel says. Isaiah 53 tells us that the reason God is to pursue us and look for us is that we all, like sheep, have gone astray, every one of us, to our own ways. But he has laid on Christ the iniquity of us all and, friends, has sought us like lost sheep to bring us back to himself. This is the gospel of God. You have sinned. You are damned. 
You have been pursued. You have been provided for. You will be protected. Cast your full weight onto Christ. Trust Him. Glory in Him. Rest in Him for your salvation. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, to You be all the glory, for You have done all that is needed for our salvation. That any sinner right now under the weight of sin, having failed miserably in all of Your commands that You give to men, in all of your commands even that you give to women and both young and old and single and married, Lord, we sin against you. Lord, if there is a a sinner listening to this and, and under the weight of the condemnation that comes with the guilt of sin under your wrath, would you give to them a heart to simply rest, to see the finished work of Jesus as needing nothing added to it, to see his work on the cross as needing nothing added to it, and to rest in him complete. God, may may we who know you ever live more and more in your likeness that you would be glorified through our lives, that this, this church would raise up men of valor, women of valor that would love and serve each other in this community of your faithful ones and in marriage as well. God, would you would you bless us as we seek to obey this and fulfill this and make our minds always resting on you for the strength to do so, never on our own striving. God, to your glory, we pray all these things. And everybody said, Amen. This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.